Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Leadership in a time of extreme crisis. First, a leader has to realize that you're you're not probably not the smartest person in the room, but you need to know who is. A conversation about leadership, life and death leadership. This is 880 In-Depth, and I'm WCBS's Tim Sheld. These past two months, we've seen all kinds of examples of crisis leadership, good, bad, and frankly, some ugly. In this podcast, we'll hear from one expert who's been there, who can talk about what it takes and what's needed in a crisis. Our reporter, Mac Rosenberg, pitched the story for In-Depth. Nuclear safety expert Dr. Charles Casto was sent to Japan in 2011 as the U.S. government lead in the Fukushima nuclear meltdown. You may remember back then when a powerful earthquake and tsunami ravaged that region of Japan, killing an estimated 15,000 people. The disaster was immediately complicated by a nuclear meltdown at Fukushima because of the earthquake damage and the loss of power there. Hundreds of thousands were at risk of nuclear exposure. The U.S. sent in Dr. Castell, and through that experience, he is now a crisis consultant. Dr. Castell is now hosting a new podcast series for Diversion Podcast called Crisis Leadership, Coronavirus Edition. It's why our Mac Rosenberg wanted to get him on the line. Tell me, what are some of the myths out there about crisis leadership? Well, that oftentimes that that we are over-optimistic, that um, that we believe that we can control the situation. So the opt- optimistic bias really blinds us from an extreme crisis. Uh, most times uh, leaders have experience and they think, well, this situation is just a little bit worse than my normal experience. So you're blinded by uh, the signals that come in. And uh, with that, with that, you know, all the things that you've learned about groupthink, uh, optimistic bias, all of those uh, blind you from from the unfathomable. You know, it's, many of these events, extreme crisis events, are unfathomable. So it's very convenient uh, not to think of them. Yeah, and that's one of the big problems that you mention with crisis leadership. It, that that failure to imagine a failure to say hey something catastrophic like pandemic or a hurricane could happen um and that that's something that 
you know, you, you say that that should be on the minds of people, but why do you think that that doesn't happen enough? Well, I think that we uh, get into the mode of past history uh, that we don't have enough diversity in many of our companies and in particular in the government, enough diversity of thought to break that mindset that we have. The over, you know, in, in America, one thing about Americans, they're very optimistic. That's a that's a challenge or an opportunity both with our culture. I think it for me, I think it actually comes from World War II and a lot of things that we've experienced over the years that, you know, with New York strong, Boston strong, uh, what we were able to do in with World War II. And um, and again, here we are with the pandemic where we're able to marshal resources and address a challenge. So oftentimes we just have this as Westerners, we often have the, the uh, mindset that we can meet any challenge. So then the pessimism is, you know, the Cassandra principle, you know, people who have are pessimistic. You know, she she thought that the Greeks were, you know, when were are gonna have a Trojan horse when they attacked Troy, but you know, people pushed her down because, you know, because they said, you know, you're just being you're just being negative, right? Mm. So our our willingness, our ability to overcome difficulties is our greatest strength, but it sometimes can be our greatest weakness as well. Something that is so different about this particular crisis, you you think of the word crisis, a lot of the times (laughs) you you think about a singular event. You mentioned like Boston Strong, Um, you know, World War II obviously was drawn out um, a little bit more. I think a lot of of people have compared what we're going through now to a war effort. Um, It's a drawn out thing. It's a drawn out event. It's a daily thing. And it's an invisible enemy, as you talk about in, in your podcast. So what kind of elements does a leader need to draw upon in this type of crisis versus a 9-11 where it happens, it leaves a, a path of destruction and we recover from there. Relative, you know, it's a, a, a quicker recovery, more calculated. Right. Well, I think first is to, to think about how we respond to these events, these crises. It pretty, it typically follows a pattern. I think I talk about that in a podcast, a pattern of the first is denial. Right. And then the, the second is muddling, where you muddle around to do a few things and you think, OK, this will be enough. And then, then finally, there's the panic stage or not finally, but next is the panic stage where you say hey, this. This thing is really is much bigger than than we thought it was. And then and then you move into acting at that at that stage. And then the ultimate stage is taking advantage of what you've learned from it. And as they say, never let a crisis go to waste. And then you you re, you you prepare for the next one that comes up. That's why hurricanes, you know, 100 years ago, a hurricane was was a cataclysmic event. And over the years, the decades, we've pretty much normalized hurricanes. Mm. Uh, and particularly so until we had the big one, right, Katrina. Right. And then Katrina was a system failure where the entire government response system failed. And then after Katrina, we rebuilt ourselves. We picked ourselves up off the ground and we rebuilt our rebuilt ourselves and built a stronger system. And my research shows from a leadership point of view, you know, hurricanes are not not really a, a extreme crisis uh, 
as we see them today. Now, the same thing with the pandemic. You know, we we were in that denial stage early on. Well, this is just the influenza. It's just another version of the influenza. Uh, we deal with, you know, again, the optimistic bias by Americans. We deal with influenza every year. Uh, this is just another version of that. So I think to for a leader to not be blindsided by these events, you have to understand those tendencies that leaders have. And then as you face the event, recognize those and break that break those tendencies. And that means bringing people in with fresh ideas, fresh thought, uh, relying on experts, but not over relying on experts. So you have to step out of yourself and out of your company's culture or your government's culture and say, where, where, where is this going um, on a on a strategic perspective? What What interests me um, is, you know, the part about leaders should, you know, rely on the experts but not rely on them too much. How does a leader navigate those two things and be able to balance it out? Right. Well, that's <laughs> deference to expertise is a big challenge in an extreme crisis. You have to have experts. When I went to Japan for Fukushima, I had experts on my team, very scientific experts on my team, but but you can't let them run the team. They have that you you rely on them. You realize first a leader has to realize that you're you're not probably not the smartest person in the room, but you need to know who is. Right? And I have you have these experts and uh, oftentimes you need their advice but you have to challenge them. You have to challenge their assumptions. Because often, most of the time, these experts have assumptions that they make. And then you uh, have to challenge those assumptions and challenge those facts that they bring to you and challenge them to make sure you understand their motives. Mm. So they, they call it anchoring, anchoring decisions in facts. So um, Governor Thornburg in Pennsylvania taught me this after from the Three Mile Island nuclear accident. He was a prosecutor in Pennsylvania, and he he when he faced Three Mile Island, he prosecuted the facts that these experts would bring to him, and he prosecuted the fact bringer. Hmm. Okay, what is their motive? You know, what what interest do they have in this in this fact, this science, and uh, where did they get their facts? So you as a leader, you need to defer to, you, you need to rely on, on experts, but you can't overly rely on experts. And as we see playing out in Washington, D.C. and in state capitals and cities across America, there is this push-pull between competing priorities. In some places, it's risk versus reward or science versus politics, open versus closed, different leaders acting in different ways. Our own resident football fan, Mac Rosenberg, likens it to a coaching staff in football. I see a leader, you know, in the way that you're talking about relying on experts as sort of a head football coach, right? You have your experts, your offensive and defensive coordinator, special teams coordinator that are coming to the head coach and saying, I think we should do this. I think we should do that. And the head coach is relying on those coordinators and making the big decisions like whether or not to go forward on fourth and one or kick a field goal or something like that. Is that right? That's right. Okay. That's right. You have the specialist, but you don't put the specialist in charge of the team, right. in charge of the offense or the defense, right? They're specialty people, and you rely on them. And a kicker says, I can make a 50-yard field goal. Okay. You know, have I seen him do it in practice? You know, 
is a is a right wing condition. So you just don't take his word for it that he can <laughs> kick the fifty yard field goal. Right. You know, you also look at what are his assumptions. He's indoor. You know, what's the wind? What's you know? So you 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 challenge those those experts. Right. So the leader is sort of a fact checker in, in that right. respect. Right. You have to you have to anchor anchor your decision in facts. Right. And I and I. Um, I can tell you, Thornburg. I'll, I'll just tell you a quick story. There was a, a theory that uh, there was be a hydrogen explosion in the reactor at uh, Three Mile Island, and and so they wanted to evacuate the area. He that was a theory. He talked to the emergency preparedness people, and they said, "Hey, look, we just realized that our emergency preparedness plans for these two counties conflict with each other. We're both using the same bridge to go in different directions." So when he had a decision to make about evacuating people he had he had a theory on one side and he had a fact on the other side right so he right. boiled it down to okay which way do i go i know for sure that the emergency plans don't work so i'm not evacuating and the, you know these scientists over here these experts are giving me a probability a theory so you have experts giving you this theory but then you have facts on the ground right you talk about communication and organization during a crisis. That's a little bit different uh, during the pandemic than when you were in Japan because you know here you have the states and the federal government in some cases at odds with each other. How do you see this playing out? Yeah, that's uh, you know and that tension can be good. It can it can bring out uh, it can it can bring out new ideas, new thinking and you know so there are positive parts to that. It helps, though, obviously, to be as aligned. We had that same problem in Japan with the Americans wanted a 50-mile evacuation and the Japanese wanted 18 miles, right? And um, uh, that that causes a lot of confusion. The Japanese said, well, you're not, you know, the Japanese government's not protecting us. They only want 18 miles, and the Americans are telling us 50 miles. So you're going to get these disagreements. Uh, they have to be worked out, uh, in you know, case by case and individually, and and the, the leaders have to harmonize on what's best for the people. That's the bottom line is you have to go back to your mission and test every decision you make against your mission. You know, if this decision that the governor's making, is it good for our people? Is it good to protect our people? The challenge you have in a lot of these events is <laughs> what the academics say is that um, social justice will always overrule technical justice. And that that uh, in an extreme crisis, that adage really really stands out. And 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 uh, what that means is, like the scientists today are telling us that you need to shelter and you need to uh, social distance, but you have protesters out there mm. that are saying, you know, we don't want that, right? So you have the social justice piece, which is the protesters, and you have the technical justice piece, which is the scientists. So then the politicians are, you know, they have to make a decision about, you know, do we, do we, the, you know, the people want one thing, but right. the scientists want another. And so it, it's better if the decisions are made locally. Right. Region by region. Right. Because they know what the people, what's needed for their individual state. It's, you know, I've always found that. Unless you have a truly extreme event, which means that the people on the ground are worried about their own existence, that they're worried about dying themselves, unless that's the case, then 
closer to the closer to the event that you can make the decision, the better off you are. And in an extreme crisis that I study, oftentimes the leaders are worried about their own mortality. And when that happens, then that changes all their decision making. And they it's, you know, my fight or flight, it's self-preservation at that point. Yeah. Um, so, so if we got to that point, then the national government would have to take over. Would that happen to Katrina? You know, the whole system broke down. The state, the locals, the federal system broke down. You know, that was a, a you know, what I call a system failure. Yeah. Um, you talk about uh, leaders and, and seeing their own mortality. Some leaders that have been in the spotlight these days are President Trump and uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Um, right. How would you assess their differences? Because we're seeing their leadership strategies every day play out and examined in all different <laughs> facets. <laughs> right, right. Well, they definitely are. Uh, they have two different leadership styles, obviously. Uh, and and uh, and I think each of them, you know, there's trying to trying, you know, it's arguably, I mean, you know, there's people on both sides of the thing, but arguably they're both trying to do what what they think is the right thing to do. Uh, the governor obviously is closer to what the needs of New York are. And he also was looking farther ahead. I mean, there's a critic criticism. He asked for too many ventilators. He did this, mm. but that's what you have to do as a crisis leader, right? You, that you want him doing that. And then the national government made, you know, has a broader perspective and said, well, wait a minute, maybe you don't, but I want the guy on the ground to be, to, to get ahead of the, the event. What happened, if, you know, I think I say it in the podcast, MacArthur's quote is my favorite quote of all time when when Douglas MacArthur said, the failure in war, in all wars and all battles, can be broken down into two words. And those two words are too late. Hmm. Too late to do things, right? Too late to yep. bring soldiers in. Too late to bring in fuel. Too late. And, and, and so what you want Cuomo doing is what he did was say, hey, I'm looking way down the road and I could use all, I don't want to be too late. Right. And and that's OK. It's OK for him to do that. That's what you want him doing. And then the national government comes in and says, you know, we we're providing what you need. We'll give you what you need. We understand what you need. And they tried to do that as best they could. So I think, you know, I don't think either one of them is at fault uh, in that regard. I think they're they're both leading from a different position on the hill. Right. Yeah, the, the idea of nonlinear thinking and and you know yeah. that that interested me along along yeah. those lines. Uh, the New York Times recently reported that uh, once a vaccine is ready to go, we could need as many as six hundred million doses. Right. Um, if pe- you right. know, let's just say people need two shots, three hundred million people, um, and the same amount of syringes. So you know that may seem at this point a vaccine may seem like a small problem because we're not even. You know, by a lot of estimates, it's, you know, it's a year to 18 months away. But is that right. something we should be thinking about right now? Leaders should be? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Should be, you know, that you you have to be what I call faster than the event. You've got to be ahead of the event. If you get behind the event, then it will cascade. You know, and, and uh, you know, the old saying, you know, a cup of water can put out a forest fire if applied at the right time. So 
you've got to be ahead of the forest fire. So you need to be thinking way down the road. Also, and as I said in the podcast, you have to be thinking about mutations. I mean, we're headed towards one vaccine. What if this thing mutates? Another another virus of a different kind comes up. Are we preparing that far down the road for these other eventualities that might happen? But you need to at least be thinking about those and how you would deal with those. Or what if some other event happened during this time? Some other major catastrophe happened during this time. So I need not, you know, not a single, they call it, you know, you know path dependence. I don't want to be, be completely dependent on one path, the, the vaccine. I want to be out ahead of that, and I want to be looking at other paths as well. Which would include antibodies, right? Right, that's right. You may not need those 500 million doses if you don't mm. do enough antibody testing, right? That so the, if the people, but but then again, you know, they say that there's the rebound and and other people people who have had it may get it again, but it could be a different virus, not the same virus. So all of these paths, you you need to be thinking about all those different paths. And also the unexpected. What could be the unexpected that could happen right now? What is the worst thing that could happen to us under a pandemic? What is the worst catastrophe that could happen under a pandemic? You need to be thinking about that. Yeah, some might argue, though, that, you know, uh, there are th- th- we, we, that, that the leaders should be focusing on what's happening right now and that, you know, um, yeah. you know, let, well, that's let's, what I want the governors to do. Right. That's what I want the governors to do. But I want the national government, FEMA, mm. national government to be contingency planning. So everybody has a role. You know, I want the governors to be focused on the ground and what they need and what they will need in the near term. More tactical, right? But I need the national government to be thinking more strategically. Yeah. You talk about also the uh, the the flow of information, and we talked about it a little bit with the fact checking and and you know the the free flow of data which we see every day out there. Um, how difficult is it to lead during a crisis like this with so many different outlets of information? Yes, it, <laughs> too much information can almost be uh, you know as harmful as too little information. At Fukushima, we were blind; we had too little information, but here it's almost a case where you have too much information and you have too many opinions, too many. You, you have to establish a strategy and, and if that strategy, if you've confirmed that that strategy, so let's say social distancing, if you confirm that that strategy is working, then you need to hold on to that unless conditions on the ground say you should change. So all the new data points that come in, don't get distracted by them. Because that's what happened to us early on in Japan was we had so many, we kept chasing every little data point to come in and it distracted us from the strategy that was working. Water into the reactor, no radiation out of the reactor, right? So (laughs) unless you have absolute proof that your strategy is not working, you need to stick with it. And and you can address those data points that come in. You can, you know, on, on the side, I call it the goal. I call it the goalpost. You know, keep keep your strategy in the goalpost um, between the best worst case and the worst worst case. There are no good cases. Keep it within there, and and unless some data point comes in that confirms that you're on the wrong strategy, let's say that we comes in and confirms this is an airborne issue. 
Okay, that's a complete change of strategy. If it's if this thing's airborne, and and uh, you know carried by the wind or something like that, well, this social distancing strategy isn't going to work. So now you have to have a different strategy, right? So with all this flood of information, you have to keep focused on what is the mission, protecting the people. What is my strategy? Is my strategy working? Don't get distracted. One final thought from Dr. Casto. He appreciates the role of the media these days in this crisis and deep dives into topics like this and in science that reporters like Mac Rosenberg are doing. But he adds this note. Well, I would like to see more scientists on the Hill, more scientists as, as members of Congress instead of so many lawyers. And I, and I would love to see the media get back to having solid science reporters and, and um, you know, science and technology reporters that, that are like you, that, you know, that are really digging into this, right, like you are digging into this hard so and not political reporters Does that make it i mean i don't yeah. know much about the reporting business but you know <laughs> what you see today is uh, it seems like a lot of, of political reporters political science people and that I, I would like to see more people with technology backgrounds becoming reporters it would help to challenge those scientists well maybe we do need more science scientists and doctors as reporters like medical reporters because they know the facts about this that, that's right that's right and I, you know and i and let me i don't want to get into criticism right blame finding but just give me give you an example and i don't doesn't this is apolitical having the press briefing in the white house invites a certain kind of reporter if you had the press conference in nih or you had it in cdc or you had it in uh, FEMA, you might get a different, you might get a different kind of reporter. Our Mac Rosenberg with nuclear safety and crisis expert, Dr. Charles Casto. You can hear more from Dr. Casto in his podcast series, Crisis Leadership, the Coronavirus Edition from Diversion Podcast. And ours, well, we're 880 In-Depth, WCBS 880 In-Depth to be specific. We ask you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, just Put in the search bar, WCBS 880 In-Depth. Thanks. Talk again. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.